0: Oh, ladies and gentlemen, here we are, final, final lap of 2022. Oh man, man, man! Gonna be some reflections, and we're gonna settle some old scores. Yeah, in the words of with Chuck D, for the final time of 2022, bring the noise! 5th Heaven Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving uh, to to any American listeners, if they exist. Uh, And happy birthday to this podcast in general I am recording on the birth of WG. Uh, three years ago now, four, three, three, four years ago now. And uh, let me let me let me let me get that proper for you. Let me get the proper date and everything. Uh, but yeah, man, see, it's, it's, it's been it's been it's been a while now. <laughs> it's it's been so kin long, man. Just uh, the fact that you know, just it's kind of dawning on me as I speak. Just um, you know, two hundred or so episodes. Yep, November twenty third, twenty eighteen. Fuck, four years. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I haven't listened to pretty much, like, any of the pods. Um, you know, especially the early ones, uh, where the music's different. Um, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I feel, uh, how I feel about just the ones I did previously. You know, everything evolves, right? Everything evolves. Um, I'm even looking at it, it's just, like, still, fucking, on oh, the, fa- the first episode still has my Facebook, uh, there, um... Facebook Um, still has my old uh, personal Twitter on there Um, I stuck obviously stuck to the film film TV sport life music um, for a while I've I've only changed that recently Um, I think that was around this I think this year I did that and yeah man what does I even talk about um, wanted to introduce the show in itself what it was all about while doing so. I wanted to give a little background, of course. Yeah, sure. Maybe I recorded this so I have impatience simply want to get something recorded. So, it's a very loose episode structurally, but I hope you enjoy enjoying the journey from here on in. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I remember that now. It's coming back to me. I was in my old house. Um, I was recording in my bedroom. And, uh, yeah, just everything was basically on my lap. Um, or maybe I did it in the dining room. Maybe I did it there. Either way um, you know, I recorded in my house, and, I you know, I still am, according to my room as we speak, um, but it's just, it's just a lot, this is a lot more intimate doing it now, um, but yeah, I did it in my bedroom previously, and, uh, yeah, I just remember wanting to just get it out, you know what I mean, just, just get it sorted, um, and just get something going, just begin, um, and, you know, most of the time, I, I, I that's weird thinking about it now, and I'm tr- I'm going to try and hold this off to the you know hold all of this reflection off until um, you know the final segment because that's what I've dedicated it to. But um, you know it's weird how I constantly think about you know a lot of the things I do um, have to have a certain amount of not perfectionism towards it right, but just to just to make sure everything's solid. You know what I mean? Um I don't I don't like to leave shit last minute. Um, you know I like to have all the recordings done a few days before, if, and I only do this, I only do WG the day before, which is the latest I do everything, uh, recording-wise, because I know I'm gonna get it done, right? Because it's just me, it's just me doing this, I'm I'm hosting, I'm producing, I'm editing, I'm, I'm just doing everything, right? Um, however small that may be, um, in terms of effort, but, you know, everything else, I have to have a couple of days in between, just so you know when it's more pe when there's more people added on, there's more chance for failure um and uh you know and i just I just find it funny whenever it comes to just being just for having it just being me um a lot of the time i I'm just like fuck it, you know what i mean let's, let's get let's get it you know what i mean when i did the when I started my photography site this year, you know that was that was knee jerk that was just i wanna do this right now. I want to. I want to. fucking just get it started and get it going. And I did. It's, it's just that impulse. Um, you know, just weeks of weeks or months or maybe years of thinking about it. And I'm wondering when when that day's going to come when I'm just going to go fuck it. Let's just let's just do one of my let's just do one of my scripts. You know what I mean? Actually try and make it. Um, that urge hasn't appeared yet uh, for reasons I know, maybe some subconscious reasons. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting regardless of just how I feel about my personal work and how I just, uh, you know, sometimes just go fuck it and jump right in as, as this podcast was when it began four years ago. It's interesting. Um, but a lot has changed and um, including the fact that I take a hiatus in December. Um, this will also happen for In Search of Source. Source. Um, if you recently, this is the most recent episode on Wednesday, um, you already know that. But, you know, in case there's some cross-pollination, who knows? Um that's that's going off as well, um offline for for the month. um, but digging in digits um will continue um uh, throughout December, throughout the Christmas period. Um, there won't be uh, a weekly music round for two of the episodes um later in later in the month. um that's just because we're gonna try and record them, try and do some double up recordings. Uh, beforehand, um, because uh, Ben's uh gonna be away for the Christmas period, um, so we but we still want to keep the streak going, cause um, it's I, I just I I think it's more impressive that show honestly, um, in a lot of ways of just how me and Ben have literally just kept it going, you know, literally as far away as possible from each other. I'm in the UK, he's in Australia, and we've literally done a DITD every single week since we began. Um, and it's going to be that fourth birthday in I think March or April next year. So uh, you know, uh, big ups, big ups to us on that front. But anyway, let's get into this. Uh, we got three topics, and uh, the final one would just be some reflections on top of all the reflections I've been doing in, in this past uh, couple of minutes. But yeah, we got a uh, two life, or technically free life, since you know reflection me reflecting on shit is technically life, um, and also a uh, music as well. Um, so for uh, for Mansys, For the final time in 2022, before we begin, email to the discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes, please go peep the articles for yourself, give them a spin and support the writers to make this show possible, possibly, and with that said, let the beat drop, let's get into the show. In a week where Bob Iger returns as CEO of Disney, yippee skippy, good for you, Uh, the World Cup is underway, world population cracks 8 billion, I just simply can't fathom that, Um, at least 162 people killed and hundreds more injured after a 5.6 magnitude earthquake struck Indonesia's densely populated West Java province. Um, I did copy and paste that as judging by the length, because yeah, I, I don't know, just felt like I can shorten any, it any anymore. I'm trying to keep it, trying to keep them short and snappy, but that was a pretty long one. And lastly, oh, oh, the biggest news, obviously, the biggest, biggest news in the world. Obviously, this is Cristiano Ronaldo has left Manchester United. Oh, such big story, such a big story. Oh my gosh, can't, can't even. No time, ladies and gentlemen. I just can't. It's just too. Much to comprehend. Honestly, I just, I just can't. I am beside myself. I, just, I just simply cannot um to to even tackle that topic. But instead, we'll do something lighter, which uh, which is well, mass migration due to climate change. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, with COP, with COP twenty seven, kind of um, from what I've seen, I haven't been on. To be honest, I haven't really kept up with it too heavy. Um, partly just because it's been. I think the fact that it was in Scotland last year really got me, you know, just um stuck into it, um and literally just listening to daily, you know, talks and you know and uh, people, prime ministers and presidents of countries that are actually genuinely getting threatened by a climate change, uh, climate crisis, and then meanwhile this year, Rishi Sunak goes to Egypt for like a couple of days, makes a speech and then fucks off. While COP twenty seven is still going on, it just doesn't, you know. It just, I mean, if I if I if I'm keeping it relatively light on the consumption front, I'm 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 kind of going to try and bet you that Rishi Sunak gives less of a shit than the boy seems I do, you know. what mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, and that's kind of the point of uh, just why this world's in sh- tatters. But anyway. Let's get into this. So, this is uh, by, via BBC Future uh, by Gaia Vince. Uh, it's called, Is the world ready for mass migration due to climate change? Easy answer, no. But let's, let's, hear, let's hear them out. <laughs> let's, 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 uh, let's, let's hear them out. All right, let's jump right. I've had an obsession with maps ever since I first saw my bearings in Winnie the Pooh's 100-acre wood, trying to discover where it was nice for picnics. Um, is that useful you spell picnics? Like N-I-C-K-S. I thought it was, um... I thought there's no okay K in it, but I don't know. Uh, and the locations of the characters' houses. My childhood is spent uh, studying drawing treasure maps, charting imaginary lands and plotting routes to faraway places I long to visit. Today my home is plastered with the maps I've, collect- I've collected or been given. Reminders of places that are special to me. By my desk I have a large world map. The continents distinguished from the oceans by the mosaic of colours. Each coloured patch is a country separated from its neighbour by a neat line drawn into this two-dimensional representation of our world. The borders are clearly defined, ink-separating nationalities destined for different fates. For me, these lines mark exciting possibilities with the potential for exploration and adventure, to visit foreign cultures with different foods and languages. For others, they are prison walls that limit all possibilities. Borders define our fate, our life expectancy, our identity, and so much more. Yet they are an invention just like the maps I used to draw. Our borders don't exist as immutable facets of the landscape, they are not natural parts of our planet, and were invented relatively recently. It can be argued, however, that most of these imaginary lines are not fit for the world of the 21st century, with its soaring population, dramatic climate change, and resource scarcity indeed the idea of keeping foreign people out using borders is relatively recent. States used to be far more concerned about stopping people from leaving than preventing their arrival. They needed their labour and taxes and emigration still poses a headache for many states. There are however true human borders set not by politics or hereditary sovereigns but by the physical properties of our planet. These planetary borders for our mammal species are defined by geography and climate. These humans cannot live in large numbers in Antarctica or in the Sahara Desert, for instance. As global temperatures increase, causing climate change, sea level rise and extreme weather over the coming decades, large parts of the world that are home to some of the biggest populations will become increasingly hard to live in. Coastlines, island states and major cities in the tropics will be among the hardest hit, according to predictions by climate scientists. Unable to adapt to increasingly extreme conditions, millions or even billions of people will need to move. The most densely populated areas of the planet are clustered around the 25th, 25th, 26th, 25th to 26th North Parallels, which has traditionally been the latitude of most comfortable climate and fertile land. An estimated 279 million people are packed into this thin band of land. Band of land. Uh, which cuts through the cuts through countries including India, pa- Pakistan, Bangladesh, China, the United States, and Mexico. But the conditions here are changing. On average, climate niches, the range of conditions at which species can normally exist around the world, are moving polewards at a pace of 1.15 metres, 3.8 feet per day. Although it's fast, far faster in some places, adapting to the changing climate will mean chase on our own shifting niche which for much of human history, which is, uh, has been within the temperature range, uh, minus 11 Celsius to 15 Celsius. I'm not doing Fahrenheit because you lot, d- d- Fahrenheit needs to die. As it migrates north from the equator. True livability limits are the borders we must worry about as the world warms over the century, bringing unbearable heat, drought, floods, fires, storms, and coastal erosion that make agricultor- agriculture impossible and displace people. Already record numbers of people are being forced to flee their homes with each passing year. 2021, in, uh, there were 89.3 million people, double the number of forcibly display, displayed a decade ago. And in 2022, that number reached 100 million. With climate disasters displacing more, uh, many more people than conflicts. Floods displaced 33 million people in Pakistan this year. While millions more in Africa have been affected by drought. And the threat of famine from the Horn of Africa to the continent's west coast, UN High Commissioner for Refugees Filippo Grandi appealed to the global leaders at COP27. There you go, no mention. Uh, COP27 ch- climate change conference to take bold action to tackle the humanitarian consequences of global warming. That change need to needs to be quote unquote transformational. Transformational, according to the UNHRC. Another quote: We cannot leave millions of displaced people and their hosts to face the consequences of a changing climate alone, says Grandy. Without action, hundreds of millions of uh, people will have to leave their homes by twenty fifty, according to some estimates. One study from twenty twenty predicts that by twenty seventy, depending on scenarios of population growth and warming, one to three quote one to three billion people are projected to be left outside in the climate conditions that have served humanity well over the past six thousand years, unquote. With so many people on the move, this but will this mean that invented uh, political borders, ostensibly imposed for national security, become increasingly meaningless? The threat posed by climate change and its social repercussions dwarf those surrounding national security. Heat waves already kill more people than those who die as a result of violence in wars. Compounding this, the global population is still growing, particularly in some of the regions worst hit by climate change and poverty. Populations in Africa are set to almost triple by 2100. Or two thousand one hundred. How how do you think people are gonna uh, how how do you think people are gonna call it call that? Because I will I be alive by then. I'll be over a hundred, probably not. But uh, what what do you think people are gonna call it? Uh, when they're when they're you know natives of of twenty one hundred or two thousand one hundred. I'd say twenty one hundred. I don't know. Anyway, a uh, f- random random thought. And I, I just like how we present. Uh, like you know, we say twenty uh, we say twenty ten, but not. 2002, you know what I mean? We Say 2002, not 2010. Or 2010. No, nobody says that. 2010. Just, it's just interesting how, how it goes. Random. Anyway, even as those elsewhere g- are slow in growth, this means there will be a greater number of people in the very areas that are likely to be worst affected by extreme heat, drought, and catastrophic storms. A greater number of people will also need fo- food, water, power, housing, and resources, just as these become ever harder to supply. Meanwhile, most countries in the global north are facing a demographic crisis in which people are not having enough babies to support an ageing population. Managed managed mass migration could thus help with many of the world's biggest problems, reducing the number of people living in poverty and climate devastation and helping northern economies build their workforce. But the main barrier is our system of borders, movement, movement restrictions either imposed by someone's own state or by the states they wish to enter. Today just 3% of the global population are international migrants. However, migrants contribute around 10% of global GDP or 6.7 trillion dollars, 5.9 trillion pounds, some 3, uh, $3 trillion dollars, 2.6 trillion pounds more than they would have produced in their own origin countries. Some economists, such as Michael Clemens at the Centre for Global Development in the US, calculate that enabling free movement could double global GDP. Oh, will capitalism like that? Oh, I don't know. They, they like the money, they like that they like that sound of global GDP, but they don't like the sound of free movement. I dunno. Too too not, not 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 tight enough, you know what I mean? They they like they like things tight, you know what I mean? But anyway. Uh, in addition. We would see an increase in cultural diversity, which studies show improves innovation. Oh, really? I swear I had an episode called multiculturalism is a good thing. Uh, weird how that works, isn't it? Uh, at a time when we have so uh, have to solve unprecedented environmental and social challenges, it could just it could be just what is needed. <sighs> Removing um, my nose is just like giving me such stack right now. Like, I can't even breathe out of it, and now it's like itching. It's like, what do you want from me? Like, go away. Anyway, removing borders or making them far more flexible, especially to labor flows, has the potential to improve humanity's resilience to the stress and shocks of global climate change. Managed world migration could benefit anyone, everyone. Uh, What if we thought of the planet as a global commonwealth of humanity? What? No, impossible thought. In which people were free to move wherever they wanted. We'd need a new mechanism to manage global labor mobility far more effectively and efficiently. It is our biggest economic resource after all. There are already wide-ranging global trade deals for the movement of other resources and products, but few that deal with the labour movement. Some 60% of the world's population is under the age of 40. Half of these are growing under 20, uh, and they will form most of the world's people for the rest of the century. Many of these young, energetic job seekers are likely to be among those moving as the climate changes. Will they add economic growth to build sustainable societies, or will their talent be talents be wasted? Oh, that's an existential question, isn't it? Fucking hell. I've I've put a lot of thought about that, honestly, recently. That's crazy. That's a crazy question. Very existential question. Uh, The conversation about migration has become struck on what ought to be allowed, rather than planning for what will occur. I believe nations need to move on from the idea of controlling migration to managing migration. At the very least, we need new mechanisms for lawful economic labour migration, mobility, and far better protection for those fleeing danger. Everyone could be offered an official form of United Nations citizenship in addition to their birth citizenship. For some people, such as those born in refugee camps lacking papers, or citizens of small island states that will cease to exist later this century, UN citizenship may well be their only access to international recognition, recognition, and assistance, even though citizenship is human right. Passports could be issued on the back of this. The political theorist David Held argued that we have outgrown our national boundaries through increasing globalisation, and now live in, quote, overlapping communities of fate, unquote, from where we should form a cosmopolitan democracy at a global level. Today, we are experiencing a planetary crisis, and I believe it is time to see ourselves as members of one globally dispersed species that must cooperate to survive. The scale of the climate crisis requires new global cooperation, and I believe New international citizenship with global bodies for migration and for the biosphere, new authorities are paid for by our taxes and to which nation-states are accountable. Currently, the United Nations has no executive powers over nation-states, but that may that may well need to change if we are to bring down global temperatures, reduce concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and restore the world's biodiversity. Global governance could also be useful in coordinating the vast new mobile workforce, perhaps using an international quota system to help allocate people to positions during the mass climate migrations of this century, but it would also face challenges created by bureaucracy, corruption, and lobbying by powerful cor- corporations. The last one obviously being a very large one right there. Yeah, that's the exact last you were thinking as I, as, you, as, I, as I was reading what the corporation's going to say anyway. Underpinning uh, global governments, however, there also needs to be strong states. The tension between desi- the desires and needs of the individual and society are very real for us all, and hard enough to reconcile when our society is a small, closely knit group, let alone the population of the whole planet. It's hard to care, for example, about a nameless, faceless stranger in a country you've never visited, when making choices about your own life in a city thousands of miles from them. Uh, most people find hard to balance the needs of a stranger one street away. Successful nation states help to manage with this, uh, this with structures and institutions that ensure a useful level of cooperation between strangers and nurtures a strong society in which we all can succeed. We willingly make small daily sacrifices of time, energy and resources as individuals, paying taxes, for instance, to ensure our societies operate. Most of us do this because it's our society, our social family, our nation state. The invention of the nation-state has been a very powerful tool and enabled us to cooperate so well. As the political theorist David Miller put it, quote, nations are communities that do things together, unquote. It would seem unwise then to try to completely dismantle or abandon our existing geopolitical system in the brief time we have to prepare for the massive disruption that is expected to occur over the course of this century. Only strong nation-states will be a- are capable of setting up the systems of governance that will help our species survive climate change. Only strong nation-states will be able to manage a massive movement of migrants from different geographies and cultures to the native population. It may instead require a blend between internationalism and nationalism. In recent decades, the growth of globalisation has led to greater internationalism. A citizen of London may often feel more uh, commonality with a citizen of Amsterdam or Taiwan than with someone from a small country town in Britain. This may not matter for many successful urbanites, but natives of more rural areas can feel left behind by their own country, as once dominant industries decline, and social spaces and cultural traditions dwindle away. This creates resentment and fear of the kind that can lead to prejudice against immigrants, as was seen in parts of the UK during the exit debate. No fucking shit. Open borders do not have to mean no borders of the abolition of nation-states, though. It may be necessary to explore different types of nation-states with different governance options, Will states that are mostly affected by climate change buy or rent territory in safer spaces or will we see charter cities in uh, that operate under different jurisdictions and rules to the territory surrounding them or floating states that build new territory on the waves? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Imagine that on the waves. How long we got? Uh, okay, A couple of, a uh, few chunky paragraphs here, okay. Debating whether to power through it or not we're about 20 minutes in, so I don't know. Hmm. It's important. I, I I'm enjoying reading this. I must admit. Um, there's some good. I I, I do like reading futurist thought, right? Because you know, it's 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 obviously a lot of this is you know unattainable and unthinkable, right? And you know, mentioned it a couple times already. You know, with corporations and just how you know people act, but um, it's interesting. Uh, I'm I'm gonna continue, right? It will take work to reinvent the concept of the nation states so it becomes more inclusive that it strengthens local connections while forging greater and more equitable global networks. There are multiple benefits encouraging commonality, a kinship with our fellows, based on our shared on our shared it's just societal project. trip me up. Language and cultural works. These traits matter to people enough to make patriotism a powerful source of identity. So why not also engender patriotic feelings about our nations, air, land and water to, to encourage people? to look after them. Uh, One approach, since we all face environmental threats, might be to enlist military and other uh, security institutions in the struggle against climate change. Natural service for young citizens and immigrants to help with disaster relief, nature nature restoration, agricultural and social efforts could be another solidarity-creating step, and we may need to restore or invent new national traditions that are environmentally or societally beneficial, and and for which citizens can feel pride and respect. These could include social groups and clubs that sing, create, play, sport or perform together and to which uh, members can belong for life. These traditions can help maintain dignity in hard times and provide patriotic meaning for immigrants to assimilate to. The new patriotic, patriotic narrative could be about civic nationalism based on the common goods, with rights and duties and a passionate cultural attachment to nature and to protect and conserving places of national or international importance. Costa Rica for instance. Embrace the term pura vida, broadly meaning good life, as a national ethos, man- mantra, and identity. Its use became widespread from the 1970s when refugees from violent conflicts in neighboring Guatemala, Nicaragua, and El Salvador uh, re- relocated to the country in large numbers. Costa Rica, a small Central American country that has no standing army and instead invests heavily in nature protection re- and restoration, alongside social services such as health and education use this outlook on life to help define its character and integrate new immigrants, quote. A person choosing to use this phrase thus is not only alluding to this shared ideology and identity, he, she, is at the time constructing that identity by means of expressing it, says Anna Marie Trester of New York University. Uh, Language is a very important tool of self-construction, unquote. This offers us a new way of looking at national pride, It doesn't have to mean seeing your people as better than other nations, nor does it mean a centralization of meaning and power. Instead, it can involve the devolution of of traditions and an appreciation of regionality and the enormous cultural value of new citizens. The European Union is is an example of a super-national identity that allows citizens to feel they are European and identify with the values of the EU, but without having to give up their national identity. A similar idea can apply within nations as well as uh, between them. In the UK, for instance, London's Chinatown is rightly uh, rightly a much-visited tourist destination, as is Little India. They are part of the nation's identity, even though Chinese, Brits and British Indians often face prejudice and socio-economic disadvantage. To earn national pride, rather than suffer divisive tribalism, a, nas- a nation needs to reduce inequality. The state must invest in the people for the people to, invil- to feel invested in the state, That means putting social and environmental issues first in ways that are for the benefit of all, rather than a small tribe of global aristocrats. The Green New Deals proposed in the European Union and the US are examples of policies aimed at restoring economies, providing jobs and boosting dignity, while helping uh, unite people in a bigger social project of environmental transformation. Try, if you will, to clear from your mind the idea of people being fixed to a location they were born in, as if it affects your value as a person or your rights as an individual. As if nationality were anything more than an arbitrary line drawn on a map. See instead these lines as fusions of cultural richness, transitions, rather than barriers across the possibilities that Earth's lands offer us all. All Alright. Interesting. So uh, Guy Vince is the author of Nomad's Century, uh, How to Survive the Climate Upheaval, and a freelance science journalist and broadcaster. Shout out to Guy Vince. Yeah, that was very fascinating. Uh, Lengthy, but very fascinating. Um, But I feel, I feel like it's one of those where I was just like, I just felt it was worthy continuing on, right? Because you know, sometimes I feel it's uh, it's probably a bit too chunky, and you know, I leave it maybe for like a long read that I haven't done in a while. But you know, in this case, I just wanted to. I I I felt like it was necessary a read because you know, like I said, um, it's obviously very futurist and. A lot of that can seem very, um, uh, what's the word, just uh, unattainable, you know, but you know, when, when you put a thought in, and especially a thought in like that, where it's just such, you know, such so rich in idea, and ideation, and ideas creation, uh, idea generation, whatever you want to call it, it seems... You know, there seems there's some possibilities there, you know. So you know, it's interesting. So shout out to the guidance on that one and uh yeah. Definitely shat on my initial answer, right? I answered the question on the on the, on the start of it, it was going, to, and I just went no. But here we are. <laughs> I'm a change man, who knows? Uh The next one is a uh, second life topic. This is all about billionaires. Oh gosh, I've I've been waiting for this one. I've been waiting for this one. Uh, our boy Anand Giriharidas uh, comes through uh, with a great uh, NY Times opinion piece. Um, and uh, it's glorious. It's just, it's just bars. He, he, he's so, he's such a, he's such a charismatic writer, especially. Um, you, just, I, I, I love the, I love the wit he comes through with it. Um, you know, comes through it with a nice, uh, just just a great mixture of you know seriousness, but also kind of like, I don't know, um, well, charisma really, to be honest, and just willing to keep it light, but also you know stick to the point. You know, if that makes any sense. I just love his writing. He's great. Um, so, this is called, This Week, Billionaires Made a Strong Case for Abolishing Themselves. Um, he is his literally, majority of his career is just like, um, yeah, fought billionaires, basically. So, um, as you can imagine, this is right up his alley. So, let's jump right in. In recent years, a swelling chorus of Americans has grown critical of the nation's bajillionaires. <laughs> See? See already? He's just bajillionaires. I like, didn't need to write like that, but it's just funny. Uh, But in the the extraordinary week gone by, that chorus was drowned out by a far louder and more urgent case against them. It was made by the bajillionaires themselves. One after another, four of the best-known billionaires laid waste to the image of benevolent saviours carefully cultivated by their class. It is a commendable sacrifice on their part because billionaires, remember, exist at our collective pleasure. If enough of us decided to, we could enact labour tax, antitrust and regulatory policies to make it hard for anyone to amass that much wealth whilst so many beg for scraps. It is not only the vast political power of billionaires that keep us keeping them around, uh, it's also the popular embrace of certain myths about the generosity, the genius, the renegade spirit, the above of billionaires, to name a few. As of this writing, Elon Musk is running Twitter into the ground. With much of the company's uh, staff fired or quitting, outages spiking, and everyone on my timeline hurrying to tell the app the things they have been meaning to say before it departs, for app heaven or hell. In tweeting through one of the most extraordinary corporate meltdowns in history, Mr. Musk has been performing a vital public service, shredding the myth of the billionaire genius. His particular pretension of benevolence is that his uncontainable genius can solve any challenge. Now he is lavishing his mind and time on electric money, now on colonizing Mars, now on electric cars and solar panels, now on saving Thai soccer players trapped in a cave, now on liberating speech from its liberal oppressors. Mr. Musk's genius pose has long been undermined by his actual record, which is defined by claiming credit for what others have built and is shot through with complaints of discrimination, mismanagement, and fraud. But it wasn't until Mr. Musk took over Twitter that his claim of infinitely transferable genius truly fell apart. Now, that what Mr. Musk has called the global town square can be eviscerated in a time period somewhere between a Scaramucci and a truss makes one wonder if we should be more sceptical of all the other billionaire geniuses with ideas for our schools, public health systems and politics. For example, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who this week was doing his part to undermine any pretension of billionaire benevolence—the generosity pose. On Monday, he made a big, big splash when CNN released an interview in which he announced that he was given the great bulk of his more than 120 billion dollars uh, billion fortune billion dollar fortune there you go away with a focus on fighting climate change and promoting unity. That sure sounds impressive. His gesture wasn't about generosity anymore. Then Herschel Walker's Senate candidacy in Georgia is for the children. <laughs> After all, the money Mr. Bezos is now so magnanimously distributing was made for his dehumanizing labor practices, his tax avoidance, his influence peddling, his monopolistic power and other tactics uh, that make him a cause of the problems of modern American life rather than a swashbuckling solution. It's too soon to tell if Mr. Bezos' philanthropy will help others, but what's certain is that it will help Mr. Bezos a lot. Mega philanthropists of his ilk tend to give through foundations, which they establish in ways that save them an immense amount of ta- immense amounts in taxes. Sometimes, merely by moving the money from one of their own accounts to another, giving also will also burnish Mr. Bezos' reputation in that way, preserving and protecting his opportunity to yet earn yet more money and to do more social damage. And it increases already gigantic power over public life. For plutocrats like Mr. Bezos, that may be the biggest payoff of all. Their their wealth is so vast that by distributing even a small fraction of it, they skew the public agenda toward the kind of social change they can stomach, the kind that doesn't threaten them or their class. Shortly before his big announcement, Mr. Bezos gave Dolly Parton 100 million dollars, uh, a uh, courage and civility award, to spend on her chosen courses. Excuse me, Miss Parton uh, is uh, uh, indeed courageous and civil, but some of the workers fighting to unionize Amer- Amazon's, said America, Amazon's facilities. I mean, technically, America as well. And I don't see anyone offering them nine-digit thank you bonuses. But once again, instead of the usual critics having to make this case this week, Mr. Bezos took the wheel. Just minutes after his philanthropy announcement on CNN, news broke that Amazon would be laying off thousands of workers, reminding everyone of what was really going on. At first glance, the two stories might seem like matter and antimatter, or at least two opposite realities, but they are the same story. The system that treats human beings as disposable commodities, upholds and reproduces itself by sprinkling some fairy dust and hoping that we will forget the injustice that paid for it. Then, of course, there was Sam Bankman Freed, spelt fried, but we say freed, don't know why. The uh, That was me saying that. But the disgraced ki- uh, crypto kingpin whose spectacular downfall, along with that of FTX, the company he founded, caused $32 billion to disappear, much of it belonging to hundreds of thousands of regular people. Mr. Bankman Freed embodies another pretension of plutocratic benevolence, that of the renegade, the people's billionaire. Like many others, he hawks cryptocurrency as a fight against the establishment, against the big banks, against the powers that be. Man... He, he has said his work was motivated by the ideals ideals of effective altruism, a trendy school of thought that encourages people to go out and make a, as big a heap of money as they can so that they can use it to heal the world. But as he admitted in an interview with, uh, this week with Kelsey Piper of Vox, Mr. Bankman Free's claims about the ethical nature of his pursuit were an example of, quote, this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibbol- shibboleths and so everyone likes us, unquote. Finally, of course, this week, there was Donald Trump. Because let's face it, there's always Donald Trump. Who has incarnated the most dangerous billionaire pretension of all. That of the hero who in all the world is the only one who can save us. He game the system so effectively that, he, uh, that only he knows how to ungame it. He manipulated politicians so much that he, only he knows how to drain the swamp. He amassed so much money that only he... Is above corruption. On Tuesday night, he addressed a crowded room at Mar a Lago and, as expected, announced that he was going to run for president again. He said the usual things that politicians are supposed to say about how he was going to do it for America's benefit, but this time it was no longer possible to imagine that even he believed it. After all, only a week had passed since America had voted in the midterm elections and rejected most of the high profile candidates he endorsed. In the process, even Republican commentators agree rejecting him. He dragged the party down so far that it did not regain the Senate and only barely regained the House. Fearing even more disastrous outcomes, trusted advisers and allies encouraged him not to run again. Uh, But they were wasting their time, standing up there on stage so low energy that even Jeb Bush's son felt compelled to comment. Mr. Trump took in the applause but offered no new ideas or directions. It was a variant of the performance that the others had been putting on. But with one crucial difference. Unlike Mr. Musk and Mr. Bezos and Mr. Bateman Fried, who strained to show us how public spirited they are, Mr. Trump could hardly be bothered to care. It was a politically, uh, particularly unstable reminder that our billionaires are not our saviours, they are our mistake. God, I just love the way he writes bro It's just so fucking good I just love I mean, it He's, he's guess. He's so guess. It's, it's great it's, it's poetic It's charismatic I just fucking love it um, But yeah man uh, Shout out to Anand On that one, on that one. Um, And yeah man What can I say That hasn't been said before Five billionaires um, They shouldn't exist Simple as Let's continue <laughs> So, um, our final article, technically of uh, 2022, is uh, going to Mr. Nicholas Tyrrell Scott, of uh, Music Culture Critic, uh, via iNews for this one, and uh, it's about your boy, y- you yours is boy, you guys is boy Drake, um, which um, I titled, I think, episode 20 something, <laughs> all those years ago, um, but yeah. We're talking about Drake again after all these years. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've talked about him specifically um, on the pod. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time. I think it's a great time to get back on it. Um, so this is called his um, uh, Drake Has Become a Problem We Can No Longer Ignore. But what problem, ladies and gentlemen? What, what kind of problem possibly is Drake? It's Drake. Harmless, right? Let's jump right. Aubrey Graham, better known as Drake, has released yet another record. Following his highly anticipated seventh solo album, Honestly Nevermind, the Canadian juggernaut returned this month with 21 Savage in tow for his second collaborative LP, Her Loss. With one of the worst album covers, by the way, um, which is extending the streak of terrible album covers. His past three have just been absolutely disgraceful in any in, in very unique ways as well. Very, I don't know how he does it. Ultimate creativity there to be just horrible in artwork choice. Uh, the duo pulled out all the stops uh, to, prior to the release, trolling their fans with fake Vogue front covers, NPR Tiny Desk spoofs, and other pseudo-marketing antics. Despite the atypical marketing campaign, however, one thing quickly became clear on hearing the album. Drake has nothing new to say lyrically. In fact, for a long time now, he's been fixated on the same narratives and tired themes. Drake rarely veers away from his template of fickle commentary about the opposite sex, there's also the overwhelming sense that he is always massaging his own ego. He does he does briefly pause at one point to tell us that he's now allegedly a feminist. He's also he also says he would vote for the adult film star Tiana Trump at the end of Back Outside Boys, which is certainly new information. But across his discography, we've heard a lot of casual sexism. In 2015's "Liar from the Gutter." The rapper explicitly revels in his dog tendencies and fickle treatment of women in the bedroom, demanding they take what's coming. Uh, Aubrey Graham seems stuck in a never-ending recess. But his lyrics only tell half the story. His actions tell the rest. Drake seems to treat the women in his own life poorly, even those closest to him. Despite expressing unconditional love for the mother of his son, Sophie Brassell, he proceeded to call her a fluke on his 2020 song, When to Say When. Uh, The lyric suggests that he is embarrassed about having been with her. That callous disregard seems to tell us uh, that the women in his life are disposable to him. Even more worrying, however, is his disturbing behaviour towards younger women, which has been documented publicly for some. Four years ago, ago, actor Millie Bobby Brown discussed her then-quote-unquote friendship with Drake, which started when she was 14. According to her, he would text her in relation to boys, advise her and act as a quote-unquote role model figure in her life. Some fans were concerned he was grooming her. No shit. Y- y- don't <laughs> fucking... <laughs> that, that, that time was just really, really just the fattest red flags. Like, I just can't... There it, it it was just a lot. There was a lot of allegations there, man. That's crazy. Woo-woo-woo. Anyway, continuing on Even further back, at one of his 2010 shows in Denver, Drake invited a 17-year-old girl on stage and kissed her on the neck before pulling her shirt down and kissing her again. Though he asked her age afterwards, the question itself suggests that he he was aware he was doing something wrong. Some of this behaviour may seem innocuous at first glance. Drake's son and the mother of his child live in relative comfort, and at one point Millie Bobby Brown described the artist as her security, but they form part of a concerning pattern of behaviour. On her loss, his lyric about uh, lyrics about musician Megan Thee Stallion were a real deal-breaker for many fans. He suggested the musician was lying about getting shot by fellow repertory Lanes. Quote, this bitch lie about getting shots, but she's still a stallion. Unquote. Though some may claim Drake was using double entendre wordplay. Ton of credit, guys. Ton of credit you're giving Drake there um, for double entendre and wordplay. Fuck, like, has he actually ever done that, that harder bar? Um, That technically, has he ever been that technical rapper to you guys? Mm, Yeah, yeah, alright, let's continue. Um, And his song has arguably garnered Drake the most pushback he has ever received. But as long as 10 years ago, on the likes of Lord Knows, Drake has always been this person. He talks about going through the phones of strippers, models and porn stars he is ashamed to mention because they are hoes that cannot be trusted. The casual mocking of women that work in ad- adult entertainment seems to be another regular and worrying theme, particularly given that the mother of his child used to work in the industry. Perhaps the only difference is that this time, in Target and Megan Drake has chosen someone that is too prominent to dismiss or ignore. Perhaps he knew this and was happy to throw her under the bus because it would get him trending, as Megan herself insinu- insinuated, like the other promotional antics that have helped build his career, it worked. It would be dishonest to suggest misogyny in hip hop or the wider music industry is anything new. Drake's contemporaries, J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar, have infused subtle and overt examples of it in their music. True. The difference, perhaps, is that Drake's peers have, at least on some occasions, addressed their derogatory lyrics towards women or shown evolution. Lamar showed public support for abortion rights at his Glastonbury headline show by chanting, uh, chanting Godspeed for women's rights after the controversial Roe v. Wade decision. When accused of misogyny towards rapper No Name, Cole accepted the criticism and praised her in a tweet, saying, quote, she has done and is doing the reading and the listening and the learning on the path that she truly believes is the correct one for our people. Meanwhile, a nigger like me just be rapping, unquote. <sighs> that was a wild time as well. Like, why did he even bother? That was just a major L. In Drake's case, uh, however, he has not shown even these most basic signs of growth or contrition. On top of that, unlike Cole and Lamar, Drake's music is arguably getting worse and more lazy. The casual misogyny just emphasizes his lack of progression and development. Today, there are millions of optics options—sorry, options for rap lovers across a range of genres. No fucking shit. This is why. This—that's the. Let me okay. Put, pin. Let me put a pin in that because that's the point I want to make overall, right? Anyway, Drake's status as a pop music's a rap orbit, and the king of commercialized hip hop—excuse me—is beginning to wane. In an industry that continues to prioritise youth and trends, Drake will be able to hold on forever, no matter how many genres he appropriates. Oh, yes. Go on, Nicholas. Go on, Nicholas. Go Nicholas. NTS. NTS. Boom, boom. If he keeps putting out subpar music and irking Gen Z millennial listeners with the views, he will eventually cement his status as it has-been. Tough. Half words. Everything suggests that this or everything suggests this will happen sooner rather than later. Oh, that that last one. Oh, them last couple of paragraphs. Tasty. Spicy. Love it, love it, love it. Big up NTS. Um so the point I want to make overall is just like this this is kind of my point. Um if you guys listen to that Apex Zero uh, interview that I did um the other week, um highly intru- highly encourage you to listen to that. Um, there was a story that he told while um, on his travels to China and learning about um, just how hip hop even boomed there. Do you even know any Chinese, Chinese hip hop has a has an actual footing in China? Do you, do you know that even exists over there? Because I didn't. Um, but he told me a story about like how uh, they used to literally just go extreme lengths just to get like a bootleg of Wildstyle or Beat Street, right? And, um, meanwhile, you guys and I have Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, Deezer, uh, Amazon Prime Music, I don't know what they call it, Amazon Music, whatever, (laughs) I don't know who's on that. But yeah, we have plenty of options, right? Streaming, the every, entire catalogues of our favourite artists in our pocket. And you guys still choose to listen to Drake. I just don't get it. I just don't fucking get it, I really don't, you have a wide, oceanic world of music out there, and you guys still pump Drake into your veins, what is wrong with you, honestly man, like I don't, I you know, I get that some artist changes people's lives, right, and I'm sure Drake has changed a lot of people's lives, how? don't know but but i guess you know that's that's the case for some of you i i'm not gonna knock that oh my nose is just blocked to shit anyway um (laughs) but i i just i just don't see why you guys are just tie yourselves to this guy it just doesn't make sense to me um i just never got it i never got it i never understood it and I never will to this day because there's documentation of this and honestly now at this point I mean for a while it's been a trend but now it's just more overt and now people are actually clocking it. Um you guys are about five years too late, but it is what five, six years, seven, ten years even too late, but it is what it is, right? And um, you know, this kind of this actually does low key link um to um a chapter in my essay, that a hip hop essay that I'm gonna drop. Uh, the air, at the start of January, uh, just after New Year's. Um so keep keep an eye on that one, um follow the fifth element or whatever, um on Twitter and uh, keep note of that one. Um but yeah, I I've I've done a good solid word on this particular topic and without even mentioning Drake. Um so yeah. Um get some variety in your life please, people. Please. I beg you. I, I beg you. Just get some variety in your life. I'm not saying don't listen to Drake anymore, you know, like he's done some very sus, sus things, um, but at this point in time, nothing that should put him in jail, um, allegedly, right, uh, maybe there are some things, but we don't know those yet, but just the constant misogyny is, um, even, not even in the music, just in general, um, treating his baby's mother like that, it's just, it's just grim, man, it's just grim, it's ugly, um, and yeah, it's just one big you to me, one big you eww you know what I mean just yeah big U big L and uh, not the up. just huge L please stop listening to this guy please I'll oh, take you Okay, so I've left myself to a good amount of time, I think, um, to just reflect and uh, to just talk about, um, I don't know, whatever I feel like talking about. I actually rarely. I, like, this is weird, right? Because you know, obviously, within the within the framework of how I've done WG, I've um, you know, I've opened up a little bit in terms of what I want to talk about and how I even categorize it you know what I mean I've, I've like I said before at the beginning I've kind of gotten away from the rigid film and TV life sports music thing because you know those were the four things that you know I am I still am very passionate about right um improving and constantly learning on all areas right but there are other things as well that you know are pertinent to my life and yours you know when I talk about tech um the arts in general uh, the environment, climate, you know what I mean, stuff, like a bunch of stuff like that, history, right? All of it is relevant, um, I feel, and obviously that's subjective, right? I, you know, some, some, m- most of you, maybe people listen to the previous just segment on Drake and they're just like, I don't even listen to Drake, why do I care? And why should you? You shouldn't, I don't technically care, but I care about the the fact that the most commercialised hip-hop star in the world is you know has shown very strong trends of misogyny, and again, like Nicholas Tyrrell-Scott said on the article, you know he's not the first one to do it. Hip hop is you know very rooted in it, um as is most music um in the in the Western world especially. And I, I don't know about you know what what uh, what other what other forms of music internationally are like. You know as it pertains to how they treat women, but let's just say probably not as well. Uh, probably not well. Uh, but anyway. Past that, past the past the patriarchal, um, you know, state of the world right now. <sighs> I, you know, I just um, I find it interesting that I've uh, you know already, you know, the, the only episode I've done this properly is like uh, that, you know, that George Floyd episode, uh, pulling the knife out, uh, seal the wound. I think I called it, um, and you know, that was kind of just like the only the only time where I just felt like I didn't want to talk about anything else, and I just wanted to, to talk, you know, very selfishly. Um, you know, about how I was feeling at the time, and um, I think, you know, this is kind of, I guess, uh, I usually, at the end of the year, um, December especially, obviously, obviously, like, you know, around New Year's time, I I I I write um, as soon, as quick as possible, um, in the space of, like, 24 hours, or 48 hours um, before the year ends, I try and write kind of like a, uh, like a mini essay on just On just a year and how I'm feeling at that particular moment in time. And around this time, I usually think about that a lot. um, Of just what I think I'm going to say. And honestly, it changes every day. Um, You know, if if I made one, if I wrote one in October, it would be very dark. It would be very pessimistic. If I wrote one now, it would be a little less pessimistic, but a little more critical and a little more um, and, and, uh, and hopefully, and leaving it with something hopefully light, that's how I feel right now, um, but I don't know how I'll feel in a month's time, I don't know, um, how I'll feel, I don't know what'll happen, because a lot can happen in in a month's time, right, um, look at Kanye, look at Twitter, (laughs) like, a lot, that most once that shit happened within the space of a month, and that's a lot, um, so, yeah i don't know how i'll feel by by the time i write that and this is kind of like a prelude to that i guess i'm not really sure how to describe this but um yeah you know it's a, it's a, it's an interesting um it's an interesting platform i have with this um it's not popular in by any means right it's it's very um it's very inside i'm actually like top 5 news commentary in dominica uh so shout out to you guys um, i constantly see the rankings I'm just, uh, every week and i'm just like hmm i'm like number one news commentary in dominica <laughs> i'm just like okay cool sweet geese i'm I'm here for that shout out to dominica um and i'm sure i'm i'm sure i chart in plenty of other countries and i find i find that weird i find it weird and fun and interesting i i i don't know i, I don't know how deep the podcast audience is is dominica but um you know it's cool to know that it's, it's cool um and uh, Mongolia as well. Actually, I think uh, I see a, couple, a few times. So shout out to Mongolia as well. Who's listening, in Mongolia? Don't know, but shout out to you guys. Um, uh, hit me up and let me know. But um, yeah, it, it's it's fun. It's fun knowing that you know people are listening, no matter how small it is. And I really do honestly appreciate you guys um, for spinning. Um, I. I, I, you know, I've, I've said many reasons, I've said many times why I do this, you know, it's a, it's a more uh, macro in a macro sense is, um, you know, zooming out is all I'd say. So it's an education thing for me. So it's a reason for, um, it's a reason, it's a a reason for myself to learn in kind of like a lifetime week by week. And, you know, as you can, if you, if you have listened from episode one to now, I've, I've probably significantly changed the person from episode one to now, in the past four years, definitely. Um, how, I can't quite comprehend right now, um, they'll probably be, they'll take a lot of uh, thinking, but I definitely have, I definitely have changed, and hopefully for the better, um, I would like to say. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I, I this has, this this show has no reason to be uh, number one in anybody's rankings, uh, unless you just really like me as a person, and really fuck with me, um, but that's literally it, um, if you don't fuck with me why would you bother listening, why would you care about the opinions I have on certain things Why would, do you even like my voice you know what I mean, that's a big one the, <laughs> I'm reading articles every week you better like my voice <laughs> you know what I mean so um, yeah it's, it's fascinating, uh, just like how niche this Podcast is, um, but I'm gonna still keep doing it regardless of everything. Um, you know, I'm gonna take this hiatus. I'm gonna um, step back a bit, um, do some writing, do some thinking, um, enjoy. I'm, I'm hitting up the jazz cafe one more time in December. Um, that's gonna be fun. I'm gonna take some photos there. Um, hopefully, I'm gonna get some time. Uh, I'm gonna just have more time to listen. I'm gonna listen to more music, of course, and just listen back to the stuff over the year. Do my end of year list. Um, but, uh, I will leave you with this, um, as I teased last, uh, last week, um, there is going to be a care package for you guys, um, for our, uh, on the, Was- on the Wasgood Good feed, and, uh, I'll formally introduce it as this. Um, so, over the past few months, six months, half a year, um, I have been, uh, asking people that I've interviewed, um, and, you know, trying to get new and in, in the midst of getting new ones in as well. So I've had a couple of new interview, new, new friends of 5e come in this year, um, asking them if they wanted to participate in this little mini series I wanted to do during the hiatus. Um, and, uh, I, you know, some of them said, yes, uh, we did, I did, I did one, but, um, I wasn't a fan of the, the quality of the audio. So that's in the bin. Um, I may or may not be able to get it a ton during the, during the, during the December period, who knows? Um, but for now I do have, uh, a few, uh, a solid amount of, uh, what I've called, uh, 30 questions. Um, so basically this is a mint that what is going to come to you throughout December is a mini series of, uh, people that I've interviewed coming back through, um, to answer 30 rigid questions, um, although I did change one question after the first one, so keep an eye out for what that question is, if you, if you even clock it, um, but yeah, apart from that one question on that one interview, um, is completely rigid for the rest of them, and uh, you know, it's questions that are open-ended, um, it's obviously based on the uh, Proust questionnaire um, via, uh, by Marcel Proust, and um, if you just look that up you can imagine what you 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 gather what the questions are about they're they're you know they're open-ended they are questions that invite uh, personality and individuality to answers some people answer them with details some people answer them very bluntly Um, and that's kind of the fun part of it Um, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the mini-series as it goes um uh, as it stands um hopefully i may or may not get a couple more in who knows and we'll see how it goes but at the moment i will have for you one two three four five six seven um drop in twice a week um at the same time obviously as every uh, regular episode 1pm um so we have on thursday every thursday and friday Um, until the 22nd, I don't have any for the 23rd or 29th or 30th, and I probably won't do anything for the 29th or 30th, because I'll be dropping end of year lists, and uh, probably a 5vpn radio as well, actually, for the songs of the year, Um, so that too, Um, so I want to leave some space for those, um, let those brief, but yeah, um, so far I have those um, for the 1st and the 2nd, 8th, 9th, 15th, 16th, 15th, 16th, 16th, I can't talk, and the 22nd of December. Um, and they will all be friends of 5e that you've hopefully heard before. Um, if you haven't, um, I'll have the links to their pre- prior interviews um, so you can spin those and get to know them because it helps. It does help, um, uh, you know, because it kind of uh, it sets the precedent of who they are. And uh, you might have, um, you might kind of like try and guess their answers in some way, but um, they might really curveball you as they did me. Um, and that's the And that's another fascinating wrinkle of it. And uh, I hope to do this again. I hope to do this again. I really do. I hope to um, create another set of thirty questions um, to do for another mini series. Maybe next year. Who knows? I might might give, try and give that a go. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll wait a, a year or two. I don't know, just to see if I can get more interviews and uh, you know, just meet more people. You know what I mean? And just uh, try and get a nice variety um, and maybe maybe keep these 30 questions and get them to do that as well. Um, if they haven't spun before, cause it's, it's cool that they didn't know. None of them knew the questions beforehand. That's another point. Um, so it's completely fresh. And, uh, some of them just, <laughs> they react so funny, um, insert in, to some of them just like, <laughs> uh, and, and it makes them think the amount of times I've had to delete silence, you know what I mean? Just to, just to trim it a little bit. Cause sometimes they will just sign it for like 10, 15 seconds, actually putting it full in it. And I really love that. I really love the thought they put into it and uh, and uh, it makes that bond um, hopefully between me and them as an interviewer and interviewee uh, much stronger. So um, I hope you guys enjoy that care package I'm going to drop uh, throughout December. Um, please give me some, if you have some feedback on them, um, if you have any questions that you feel like would be good questions that will fit into the ethos of what the 30 questions are um please let me please please throw them to me i'll be very interested in uh, in in any uh, questions that you guys might have uh to to put forward um but yeah i'll i'll try and um drop a trailer for it um before thir- before next week um i'm kind of doing some work at the moment um outside of this um so i've been also i'll i'll be keeping pretty busy for this week especially um but hopefully after that maybe i'll try and whack out a trailer um, uh, for you guys, like a quick thirty seconds minute trailer, and uh, you know, just uh, in just to wet the whistle a little bit, you know, what I mean, just to wet the appetite a little bit for these thirty questions are gonna drop on your face, on your head, top, uh, throughout oh. December. But with that said, um, I'll leave it there, um, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network. I'm Richard Tone It's been What's good. The intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Up Music for the busy track. Uh, you can find both their links in the full show notes. And thanks to a friend of Five E Nappy High for the BCU's charismatic for the interlude. Uh, you can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday period. Um, with whatever you're celebrating, how have you celebrate it? Um, I hope you all have um, a great uh, Happy New Year on the Gregorian calendar, <laughs> I guess technically. Um, keep learning keep reading um keep exploring for yourself and uh yeah man until january what, what, what's the date what's the specific date until january uh what's that Thursday? until january 5th thanks for tuning in and take it easy ladies and gentlemen